0: Been following me for any length of time or, you know, tuning in here for, for a while, you probably already know that I used to be very obsessed with food, particularly anything that had sugar in it, um, you know, to the point of feeling like I was full-on addicted to it, all of it. The harder that I tried to stop the more I craved and felt completely uncontrollable around it all. And today I wanted to talk to you about how and why I got there and how I learned to stop feeling obsessed with it all, addicted to it all, out of control, you know, all of that stuff. Um, And how you can too, because there is hope, like you don't have to stay living like that forever. Um, And changing it starts with understanding what's driving it, right? Because I always like to start with why. Why am I here? How did I get here, right? So when I was younger, I never really thought much of a food. I just ate what I wanted. I ate all the typical foods that kids eat, you know, homemade bread, cookies, pasta, potatoes, whatever, you know, all the foods that basically every single diet tells us should be banned for all eternity. Um... I never really thought about food. I just ate what my mother fed us. I ate what was in the house. I never felt addicted to it or anything. I never even really thought about food. And I always just stayed pretty tiny. And then in my teens, uh, you know, I put on a couple pounds. And I do mean a couple. It, you know, I was a teenager. Um, and over a couple of years, you know, I put on maybe 2 or 3 pounds. I was still well over under 120 probably and and um, you know, Two to three pounds over a few years is hardly anything to be concerned over, especially when you're still just a teenager. And again, I had no food issues. I never really thought about food. I just ate what I wanted. Um, But I didn't know anything about food or weight. The only thing I knew was that gaining weight was the worst thing in the world you could possibly do. And I was terrified to get fat. So when I started putting on a couple of pounds, like everybody else... Um, you know, I was terrified of gaining more and I wanted it gone. And somewhere along the way I stumbled upon Atkins. This was the 90s, of course, and you know, Atkins and his low carb sugar is evil miracle cure rescue. Uh miracle cure to the rescue and you know, Atkins told me carbs were bad, that not eating them was the answer to being skinny. And so I went low carb. Rather I tried to go low carb. Almost Immediately, the obsessive thoughts about carbs started in my head. And within four hours, um, I had caved and eaten those bad carbs, right? Instantly, I hated myself. I thought I was bad, right? After all, we're told we are what we eat, right? And I went into his messaging already believing that body fat was bad. And then he told me that sugar and carbs were bad and make us fat. So obviously, after reading his book... I believed I was bad and I was gonna get even fatter and unhealthier and more addicted because I ate them again, right? Over and over again, I tried to follow his rules and stop eating carbs, over and over again. I was consumed with thoughts of carbs and sugar in ways that I had never been prior to reading his book. And over and over again, I would cave and I would hate myself a little bit more every time. I gained about five pounds from that first attempt in just the first couple of weeks and the roller coaster of obsessing over what I shouldn't, should or shouldn't be eating and then trying to be good, ultimately caving and being bad, continued, as did the weight gain, until I was in my early 30s. Atkins and his low-carb rules started an almost two decades-long battle with weight, my weight and food. By the time I was in my early 30s, I was overweight. I had dieted my way up about 50 pounds or so, and I was deeply ashamed of how I thought I had let myself go by gaining so much weight and not ever being able to stick to anything. I blamed myself and felt like a failure. I did it to myself after all, right? That's what we're taught. That's what we're told. Well... Desperation is a pretty strong driving force when it's deeply rooted enough, and eventually I did manage to finally somehow lose the weight that I wanted in my early 30s. I decided to give up the low-carb rules, and I just ate what I wanted. But I ate very, very little, and I started exercising a lot. Please don't do that. It is a very slippery slope from there to a full-blown eating disorder, and that is not a hell that you want to live. Trust me on that. Anyway, despite losing the weight, I I did finally get to my goal, my, you know, quote, goal weight, but I still hated my body and what it looked like, and I still hated myself, and I still obsessed about food. So I hired an IFBB figure pro to help me transform everything more. She gave me my first clean eating meal plan. And the food obsessions and the sugar cravings that had started in my teens with Atkins became un Bearable almost instantly. I mean, it got bad, really, really bad, really fast. Within four days, I had my first ever binge, and within eight months, I was sitting in a therapist's office hearing the word bulimia come out of his mouth. Within four days of trying to eat clean, I was bulimic. It took eight months for the official diagnosis, but it only took four days for the binging and overexercising to get out of control. And I spent the next several years that I was a food and sugar addict. Not once in that entire time did I notice that none of that started until all of those stupid food rules were introduced. And I spent 20 years hating myself for not being able to follow them. I obsessed over feeling like I desperately needed to have sugar or food in general. Kind of non-stop and i'd often describe those feelings as being exactly what i would like i would imagine an addict feels like when they need a fix i'd have physical sensations like trembling and anxiety if i didn't let myself cave and have whatever i was craving i'd be so desperate to get into a bag of candy that i would struggle to open them i would be shaking like physically shaking that bad and the more i quote let myself have the more I felt like I needed. I knew that I felt a million times better when I didn't eat that stuff, but I, I couldn't stop. I felt completely out of control with it. And it wasn't uncommon for me to eat thousands of thousands of calories and of sugar and carbs in one sitting, and then continue eating more over the course of the rest of the day. Binging particularly on sugar and carbs was an almost daily occurrence for me for a long time. Because I was an addict, right? I couldn't stop. I couldn't control myself. It sure as hell felt like an addiction at the time. And like most other people in the fitness world, you know, during this time I was a trainer and, and I was preaching clean eating to clients and the dangers of sugar. And I researched and even wrote articles about its dangers, hoping to scare myself and others into quitting that evil little addictive sugar demon I found info that reinforced my feelings of addiction with all of these, you know, scientists are claiming that sugar can be just as illegal as addictive or just as uh, addictive as illegal drugs like cocaine, right? All of that messaging, it reinforced everything I felt. Well, if science says so, and I'm experiencing those exact thoughts and feelings, it must be true, right? And if it's true. I just have to keep trying harder and harder to restrict, right? I just have to be good and abstain. I can do it. I can be good. <sighs> yeah, I believed all that crap for a long time too, but it's all, it's, it's all untrue. It's completely untrue. As always in the nutrition world, details often get misconstrued, they get misinterpreted or flat out misrepresented, Do you know a single person who ever ended up homeless because they couldn't quit Twinkies or sold their body for a hit of gummy bears? Granted, I did a lot of stupid and self-destructive stuff to get my fix when I was in the middle of my so-called sugar addiction, but I never left my young kid at home alone so that I could go sit in a candy store all night shoving a needle full of high-fructose corn syrup between my toes. Studies that claim sugar is as addictive as illegal drugs, have been misinterpreted and misrepresented. Because when you actually review the studies, what they actually show is that the addiction-like behaviors are only present if they restrict the animal's access to sugar. When they allow them to have it whenever they want, they don't show the addiction-like behaviors. Hisham Zaudin, whose name I completely just... Um, butchered probably, is a psychiatrist at the University of Cambridge. And he says that what that means is that it's not the sugar itself that produces those behaviors. It's the intermittent access to it that does. The exact intermittent access that we live with every single day, every time we try to quote, be good and not eat those bad things, only to eventually cave and then overeat them. It's that exact cycle that causes those addiction-like feelings and behaviors. And he also said that you get the same kind of effect if you use saccharin. So it seems to be more about the sweet taste itself rather than the actual sugar. Now, yes, there are parallels between the effects of cocaine and sugar on the brain. In that, they do both interact with the same reward system. But sugar, un, but with sugar, unlike for cocaine, the animals don't continue to seek sugar if it's paired with an unpleasant event like an electric shock. But Zaudin said that's not surprising. The reality is that quite simply the brain's reward system and the circuits that control eating behavior are the same ones that respond to drugs of abuse. But unlike sugar, drugs of abuse hijack those systems and turn off their normal controls. Sugar does not do that. Tom Sanders, emeritus professor of nutrition and dietetics at King's College London, said that while it was true that cravings for sweet things can be habit forming, it's absurd to suggest that sugar is addictive like hard drugs. So again, you only see the addiction-like behavior in rodents when the animals are restricted in their access to sugar. And those addiction-like behaviors are present because they're connected to the habit reward center in their brains rather than a physical dependency, when the test subjects are allowed to eat sugar whenever they want, like with humans, those properties vanish. The addictive properties vanish. And again, the reason this actually happens is not because of physical addiction, but because of the way that our brain's survival center programs habits and rewards to protect us and, you know, do things like keep us alive Programmed into our DNA since the beginning of time has been an overwhelming urge to survive. And food equals survival. So food or sugar restriction activates the survival center in our brains that creates these cravings, compulsions, desires, obsessions, and even addictive-like feelings. Then when we cave it activates that reward center in our brain and hardwires that act of caving into a habit that absolutely starts to feel out of control after a while and so craving sugar or you know food in general even to the point of feeling out of control or obsessed doesn't mean we're physically addicted to it and that we have to keep trying to you know trying harder to restrict it it happens because in trying to restrict it Wiring in our brain causes it to panic and it becomes desperate to save us from starving. Now, sugar can get more easily and deeply wired into this than some other foods simply because it has a faster impact on those systems than other things, especially when we build comforting feelings and associate associations rather with sweet treats growing up, right? But when the restriction of... And fear of not being able to have that stuff again is gone. So too are the cravings and addictive-like feelings that are being driven by it. And I shared a bit about my own story in the beginning to show this in action. I never felt addicted to food or sugar until the weight loss and wellness industries told me that certain things were bad and I had to stop eating them. It started with Atkins and clean eating, and it sent it over the edge into a full-blown eating disorder complete with those feelings of addiction. When I eliminated the food rules, all of the feelings of addiction that were associated with them changed and were gone. So that's one reason we can feel addicted to food it's one of the biggest but it's one of them it's not the only one another one can come from self punishment and it can be driven by these feelings underlying feelings of inadequacy self-loathing and shame usually related to food choices or our weight or any number of places really right we get caught in these cycles of of feeling like we are unworthy or we're somehow bad and you know we self-punish as a result and that can drive sort of addictive like feelings because we just sort of feel desperate to self-punish as crazy as that sounds it just it is what it is it's just what happens and when I disengaged from the diet and fitness world so that I could actually start healing my weight and food struggles I started working on changing all of those causes And so the reasons that I would feel out of control or addicted to food or whatever, for those reasons, started to vanish. But there were still other times, even after I stopped restricting and I started self-punishing even less, there were still times when I still was feeling out of control. And I started recognizing yet another drive for my compulsive eating. It's sort of related to the self punishment that I just spoke of, but it even goes deeper than that. I started noticing that I quite often felt like there was literally a hole in my chest a huge, gaping, aching hole that I could never fill, no matter how much food I stuffed into it. And Lord knows I tried with massive quantities of food. And I used to wonder what the hell is that hole and how do I make it go away? I mean, I would be throwing up in my mouth, I would be so full, and I would still feel this gaping hole that just ached in my chest. And what I learned about that hole changed everything about my life. Tara Brock talks about a concept in Buddhist cosmology called the realm of the hungry ghosts. And I've only recently stumbled across this concept, but it really is a beautiful way to describe what that hole in my chest was. In Buddhist cosmology, one of the psychic domains that's described is the realm of hungry ghosts. The hungry ghosts are figures that are drawn with these you know, scrawny little necks and big huge bellies, and they're riddled with powerful desires that they can never really satisfy. Nearly everybody I know struggles with their own version of this hungry ghost system, uh, syndrome to varying degrees. And because having desires is a natural, necessary part of being human. Basic human desires are necessary for our species to survive and to thrive. And those basic, when those basic needs for safety, connection, bonding, a healthy sense of our own worth, our value, you know, feelings of being fully loved and accepted, when all of those basic human needs go unmet, we become consumed with substitutes. Drugs or alcohol, perfectionism and approval, food, sex, external validation, you know, whatever. We get trapped or confined by those dire desires in ways that create tremendous pain and stop us from fully living, from be, fully being present, from fully feeling loved. And chasing weight loss is a particularly strong one for our hungry ghosts, because it promises that if we just keep trying, if, you know, all of those desires that we have to be loved, accepted, to feel good enough, they'll just be instantly fixed if we just lose the weight. So we just keep trying, we just keep chasing this weight loss, because, you know, that hungry ghost is so desperate for these things. And this is this is what promises that it will give it to us and then every time we fail the shame and the judgment and all of those extra um you know punishments that we pile on ourselves make us feel worse and just keep fueling the ghosts the ghosts just keep getting hungrier because we just keep piling more shame and judgment and self-loathing on these feelings that are really just desperate for love and belonging and acceptance. William C. Moyers, is a man well known for his work in the field of addiction and for his own struggle with it. Spoke at an MIT conference several years ago, and he said, I have an illness with origins in the brain, but I also suffer with the other component of this illness. I was born with what I like to call a hole in my soul, a pain that came from the reality that I just wasn't good enough that i wasn't deserving enough that you weren't paying attention to me all the time that maybe you didn't like me enough for us addicts recovery is about the spirit and dealing with that hole in the soul and there it is that's what it was that was the hole i used to have in my chest the hole in my soul the hungry ghost this is the core of the buddhist hungry ghost concept and Almost everybody has their own version of this hungry ghost because we're born into a world that teaches us to assign worth to humans based on external measurements of success. And in that world, you can never really feel like you're measuring up if you keep trying to conform. If you keep trying to measure your success by all of these external measures... Your hungry ghosts just keep getting hungrier. We are living disconnected from ourselves on a really deep level. We feel a sense of disconnection from others. We feel like we are somehow, you know, lacking all of this basic goodness that others possess. And somehow, at our core, we're just not good enough. In this very deep way, it keeps us feeling disconnected from not only ourselves but from others and from the present moment from the beauty and the joy in the present moment and we so we just keep chasing substitutes that could never possibly fill the void in our society we tend to look at addiction from a very limited point of view we judge people to be quote addicts if they're you know hooked on something that we consider to be typical addictions, drugs, alcohol, sex, smoking, exercise, gambling, shopping, food, whatever, right? And this is where we need to expand our definition of addiction. Because while it's true that physical addictions to food aren't really a thing, we can have addiction like Feelings because of what you could call mental addictions. And that's all of these things I've been talking about. So, in this case, we would define addiction as any habitual psychological dependence on a substance, on a thought, on a behavior, or a practice that we can't intentionally control. And these mental addictions or attachments happen purely as patterns that get wired into our brain as these autopilot actions and reactions. Emotional eating is a good example of this. When we have no other coping strategies for difficult emotions, we may feel desperate and out of control with food as we try to self-soothe. Our brains have hardwired reaching for sugar or food as the autopilot fix for anything and everything we experience. Fortunately, once we see that we're addicted or attached in so many harmful ways, we can start changing these patterns when we start recognizing what's driving them. Unfortunately, we often end up addressing only the behavior itself, which isn't usually helpful because it's just attempting to band-aid the symptom rather than actually heal the need that those attachments or addictions are filling. And in the case of food, when we only focus on the behavior, which most people do, the compulsive eating aspect of it, we usually address it by trying to force ourselves to stop the behavior, to abstain, right? And as we've discussed, any type of food restriction absolutely will drive compulsive overeating. So all it does is make the problem worse. And then it reinforces the beliefs that we're somehow bad for not being able to do better, which makes that gaping hole, (laughs) those hungry ghosts in the center of our chest, even bigger, when all they're really desperate for is love and acceptance. But as they get bigger, it drives more overeating. And what does that continued pattern of trying harder and caving over and over again um, drive? What feelings do those drive? Does that pattern drive? You guessed it, more self-hate and shame. So we start from this place of trying to fill this gaping hole in our chest that just wants love and belonging. And we just keep layering on more and more shame and self-hate every time we, quote, screw up or don't have enough willpower. And side note, your body needs food to live. You were never supposed to need to have willpower with food. The whole concept of willpower willpowering your way to abstinence with food is a bullshit lie created by the diet industry to explain away why their so-called solutions aren't working for people. Now, Buddhists call this extra helping of shame and condemnation that we direct at ourselves the second arrow. So, not only are we caught in the cycle of cravings, shame, and these addictive-like feelings, that being, of course, the, the first arrow, we're adding to our own suffering and pain with this second arrow by then judging and hating ourselves for it. And that's where we stay, stuck in these cravings, shame, addictive loops, unable to be present or truly engaged in the life that's right here waiting for us because we're always chasing something that we feel like we're not getting. And because that second arrow, that extra layer of shame and self-hate that we pile on ourselves, just keeps fueling the suffering and the desires of the hungry ghost more than just about anything else. I have never met a single person who was able to heal their relationship with themselves, with food or their bodies while still trying to restrict food and judging themselves harshly for it. Ending the attempts at food restriction ends the compulsions that are being driven by food scarcity. Relearning to trust yourself and your body puts the power over your body, your thoughts, your choices in your life back in your hands. And releasing the shame, the blame, the self hate, it allows you to start working on the deeper needs of your hungry ghosts. The things like feelings of safety, love, belonging, acceptance, all those things it's been begging for. Self compassion and present moment awareness bring you back home to peace, to this moment, to acceptance and belonging and tenderness, all of the things that soothe your hungry ghost. So pause and think about some of the ways that you get stuck in these addictive patterns and then the ways that you make yourself feel worse with these second arrow attacks. Pause for a minute and really connect with the feelings of shame and blame that arise when that happens. That's the second arrow. The addictive pattern is your hungry ghost. It's the need that's going unfulfilled. The shame and the blame is the second arrow. That's this extra suffering that you're piling on yourself that's feeding the hungry ghost even more, those addictive-like feelings. And so just pause for a minute and be with those feelings. What do they feel like? (sighs) Breathe and just connect inward. What are you feeling? What are those feelings trying to tell you? What do your ghosts need? I find it really helpful to place my hands on my chest, on my heart when I do this. It helps me connect with the feelings of tenderness and self-compassion that I lacked for so long. And you know, you can just put your hands on your heart and maybe rub your chest and just ask again, what do I need right now? If you could give that hungry ghost one message what would be the most helpful thing for it to hear right now? Some of my favorites are simply just repeating to myself, it's okay, sweetheart, you're okay. You're doing the best that you can and that's enough. It's okay. See, when we give those hungry ghosts what they truly crave, the love, the acceptance, the true connection, the safety, our hungry ghosts lose their power. And whatever we repeat gets strengthened. So when we understand and are aware of our addictive like behaviors, the compulsions behind them stop feeling so strong and just begin to fade away. The behaviors no longer feel out of our control. And we just start organically making different choices about how we respond to things. If we keep repeating the same patterns of feeding and fueling the ghosts, the pathways in our brains that are responsible for them just keep getting strengthened, which makes them continue and feel more and more out of control. But when I actually started understanding what was driving that whole feeling in my chest, the hole in my soul, I started viewing every moment of the day as a new chance to get curious about old patterns. It was a new chance to meet that empty and ashamed feeling in my chest with pure tenderness and kindness and compassion and acceptance. And that changed literally everything in my life, including all of those feelings of addiction around food. The poet Rumi writes, and, and I'll leave you with this. The poet Rumi writes, This is how a human being can change. There's a worm addicted to eating grape leaves. Suddenly he wakes up. Call it grace, whatever. Something wakes him, and he's no longer a worm. He's the entire vineyard and the orchard, too. The fruit, the trunks, a growing wisdom and joy that doesn't need to devour. You've been listening to Being More with Ronnie Davis. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about embodied cognitive eating training and access free resources, visit www.ecet.online.